You're listening to an Influicity podcast. You're tuned in to the Manjeet Minhas podcast. Hello and welcome to the Manjeet Minhas podcast. I'm Manjeet Minhas, and each week I'm sitting down with some of the most noteworthy business leaders of today. Today, I've invited one of my fellow dragons, Vincenzo Guzzo, the CEO of Cinema Guzzo, the largest movie operator in Quebec and the third largest in Canada. He also has expanded his Guzzo empire into the construction, hospitality, and medical industries. Well, hey Vince, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, thank you for having me. I'm excited because not only did we, um, you know, spend some time together earlier this summer shooting the next show of Dragon's Den, and actually a lot of nights together this year, which was interesting. I feel like I got to know you even better the last three years than I have before, just because of the sheer quality of time we got together. So I really thought that I would pick your brain for the audience because you have definitely had not not only a very interesting entrepreneurship journey, but you've also had an amazing life story and definitely full of ups and downs like entrepreneurs do, a lot of lessons learned. And I know you have a lot of advice and you don't shy away from it. Hence the listen to me. (laughs) So let's get right into it. Can you tell me a little bit about your journey, um, not only as a businessman, as an entrepreneur, but just your life journey kind of from start to where you are today? Uh, you know, look, I, I'm I'm an only child. Uh, um, uh, you know, I'm the son of uh, of uh, Italian immigrants, first generation. Uh, I'm first generation Canadian, born here. You know, so I've I've, you know, I don't want to say I've felt racism, but I but I felt certain prejudices, you know, in in the community, you know, as I was growing up. And the one that I think impacted me the most was the fact that I was an only child, right? So whenever you know, it, it's this Italian thing where. You know, you got three, four brothers. When you get into an argument with somebody, your three, four brothers come to back you, right? So, so as a child, I was, I was, um, I had no choice. The survival skills were you had to be extremist when it came to defending yourself because I knew there was three other brothers coming. You, you know, definitely wear a lot of hats and a lot of titles, which I think is really um, exciting and interesting. Not only are you president and CEO of Cinema Guzzo's. Group Guzzo Construction, Guzzo Medical Services, Cinema Guzzo Lay Film. You're a dragon on Dragon's Den, an investor not only on the show but outside the show. Um, and you, you, you're you know president of APCQ. I'm not even going to try to say <laughs> that one. So you definitely wear a lot of hats, which is um, really exciting and interesting in a lot of different worlds. As an investor, what do you look for when you're investing not only in an industry, uh, but um, in investment for entrepreneurs and companies? You know, Manjit, I think think we all have the same problem, right? The biggest problem we all have is we have money, we have passion, and we have uh, um, dreams and aspirations. What we don't have a lot of is time. So when I look at an investment, I try and make sure that uh, everything gets done, um, you know, in a way that that I can have fun doing it, and not just, you know, about the investment. You know, so so in other words, when when I invest in a company, it's not like I'm investing in Tesla or I'm investing in uh, in IBM or in Apple, right? I, I actually want to be part of the investment. I want to be part of the journey. I want to be able to motivate. I want to be, you know, able to 
encourage the entrepreneur that's there. I want to be able to feel that in some form or another, a bit like with my kids, while I let them live their lives, I try and give them my wisdom. And I hope that by giving them my wisdom at their young age, it'll get them at a better place at my age, right? So keeping that in mind, when we're on Dragon's Den and we look at these pitches, many times the pitches that I will most feel for is, I like this person. I I really think that's an interesting take, um, that it's true that we only have so much time. And as my introduction, that you wear so many hats, I've never looked at it that that way. So that's really interesting that you look at it according to how much time they're going to give and you're going to take and, and vice versa. I think that's a really interesting perspective. Do you put a value on your time or um, as far as dollars and cents go? Because you know what? You're a self-made guy who's on the up and up in some very challenging, not only businesses, but also some very capital intensive businesses. There's, there's a few ways that I look at my time. I can either look at it as a pure investment So it's something that my kids want to invest in. So now I'm investing to, it's a family investment I'm doing. It's, you know, so I'm trying to teach them a lesson. I'm trying to get them into the, you know, so for example, with my daughters, with Rosella's tie-dye shop that she opened, right? I put a lot of energy into that. And some people say, but geez, are you selling millions of dollars? No, no, no. We only sold like $20,000 this summer. Don't worry about it. But it's just, you know, she's nine years old, right? So it's, then I have, then I have, you know, the medical side of our investments came from our philanthropy. There came a point where I was spending a lot of hours trying to help people. And people were coming to us saying, you know, we need, you know, research money for this, research money for that. Then I said to myself, look, I'm spending the time anyway to evaluate this as a, a, a philanthropic gesture. Why don't I just invest in it? I mean, I'm here, I mean, you know, so... I as well make it an investment while I'm at it, right? That's really important because I think as investors, also, let's face it, as Canadian celebrities, we get so many opportunities. What makes you kind of stop and say, oh, no, no way? What are those big red flags right away um, when somebody or a company comes to you looking for investment that you say, I'm not touching this with a 10-foot pole? Well, so so the once again, the medical example is going to be a good one because when we went from philanthropic, call it donations to research versus actually investing as a investor in the research company or whatever. In the medical field, there's this belief that if you're doing it out of of philanthropic love, you should just give the money and be quiet. You have no, no questions to ask. So I said, no, I actually want accountability. I want to make sure you're not wasting my money. So I went in as an investor, right? So it's a bit the same problem. The minute I get to somebody who I feel is going to be a nightmare trying to make them accountable. And and a lot of people need to understand that when we try and make investors or uh, uh, somebody we invest in accountable, first and foremost, he has to be accountable to himself. And there's no better way for him to become accountable to himself than to actually be accountable to me for whatever small part that I may own of that business, right? And so at the end of the day, I'm, you know, I'm the one who, and I say this often and my wife gets upset at me every time I say it, you know, I compare business partnerships to marriage. 
Uh, and she says, well, you know, thank you for putting me at the same level as all your other investments. He says, no, no, no. I'm actually trying to raise them to your level. You're so high up in my, you know, priorities, right? And so the, the truth of the matter is I got 25 years left, according to Jim. So I'm saying to myself, I want to make every day count, every hour count. And the last thing I want is to be invested in something that may make me money, but it's going to be miserable for me. It's going to be like a living nightmare. You know, like I'm going to get called to a board meeting and I'm going to say, please, can somebody replace me? I don't want to talk to these people, right? So I don't want to do that. So I, so I got to have some sense of fun. And a lot of people think, oh, Christ, how much money did he make to only invest for fun? No, the truth of the matter is my whole work life is fun. My father used to tell me, don't get a job. Get something you love to do and do it every day. So I love to do what I do. And so I just want to make sure that what I continue doing is something I love and not going to a nightmare deal, which, you know, has happened to me on the den. I mean, you know, I, I went into a deal and I thought I was helping. And then I said, I'm leaving before I become like crazy on this thing. Well, that's the interesting part that even seasoned investors like yourself do realize that even they can make mistakes in picking a horse, right? Um, and the, the proverbial horse. And so the red flags, I guess, that, that we you know, sometimes see in the person or could be in the product or the service, it can change also, right? And I think pandemic or not, it's interesting how that, um, that pivot, that coachability, that accountability. I love how you actually saw going into the medical industry and your philanthropy, not just as a blind charity, because I think that nobody does anybody justice by just giving money blindly. And it is important that you invest even in that to make sure that there is an ROI, that you do treat it like a business. Yeah. Even though people don't want to hear that. And, and if nothing else, you are definitely brave when it comes to not only your opinions, but I love how you actually say what you mean. And it always, it always when somebody sits down and thinks about it, actually makes a lot of sense. And, and so I'm going to just go back again. You, as you mentioned, what your dad said, with some great advice. And you chose to get into the quote family business, which your dad started. But of course you have, you know, taken to amazing new heights, which is the, the cinema business. So did you feel that you had an obligation to step in as the only child? Well, so, you know, what happened is, so I went to Western in, in, in economics. And then when I came back and I went to the University of Montreal, my first year of law school, and then I finished at uh, Lucam. In, uh, in law school, I had lined up a job as a litigator in a New York uh, law firm. So as I like to say, I was going to be Harvey Specter, you know, and I was going to probably be single all my life and, you know, be the womanizing guy and whatever, whatever. Right. That was my dream. Let's say, let's put it that way. So suits is really what I wanted to do, you know, and then uh, and then before I had to confront my parents with that, uh, you know, I had to endure two and a half years of my mom crying while I was in London, Ontario, because she was saying she knows how this works, right? I'm going to go to school there for two and a half years, fall in love with some girl and never come back to Montreal. And then her only, you know, her only child, oh my God, what a problem and so forth. So my plan was to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a litigator. That was my whole thing. Uh, and then my dad sat me down and he says, okay, look, you're, um, you know, you're going to be 24 soon. Uh, you can take your own path or you can try and come in with us in, in this business that we have, because ultimately you're the only person we, we would give it to. But if we're going to work hard, 
We're going to sacrifice ourselves and you're going to be in New York and we're going to be in Montreal. We're not going to see each other. We're going to grow apart. I don't want to feel like I'm killing myself of work just to give you movie theaters that you're going to sell off or just for the for the paycheck at the end of, uh, you know, for the inheritance. So would you consider, you know, coming into the family business? I said, you know what? I worked during the winters, uh, during the summer, sorry. I worked during the school year and everything. So I'd been in the movie business for a long time. So I knew the business. So I said, you know what? I'll give it a shot. And then I realized that I ended up litigating for myself. So in other words, I was doing probably more litigation than I would have done in, a, in an office in New York. But now I was doing it for myself. And that's because this, the, the movie business is so cutthroat? Well, there's a lot of litigation in the movie business because until I would say 2007, there was nothing in writing. So you have to try and understand the way the movie business works, right? So I play, I used to play a movie in 1998. We had no preset royalties. Uh, we played the movies for, let's say, 15 weeks. And after 15 weeks, we had a, an amount of money. And then we sat down and said, okay, so how are we going to divvy up the money? So my bankers would always say to me, like, guys, but makes no sense. What do you mean? So how do you, how, how do you guys stay honest? I mean, why are you going to give him what he wants? So, Cause he's got a movie that's coming out in three months that I want. So if I screw him on this one, he's going to get me on the other one. So, you know, it's almost that, 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 uh, it's almost that boyfriend, girlfriend relationship. You're not married. There's nothing really connecting you, but you're sort of there cause you don't want to lose each other and you need each other. Right? So it's the same thing in the movie business. The other thing was that in 1998, we were sort of friendlier with Cineplex than famous players. So there was sort of a division of the market. And then we said, no, 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 no. We, 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 want, a, we want a free market enterprise. We want the U.S. system. I can build a theater where I want and I should have the right to have my picture. So the slogan was, you know, you've chosen your movie. You should have the right to choose your theater, you know, to the customer. And so we litigated that with the Competition Bureau. Sheila Copps was very involved as Heritage Minister. So I was doing all of this legal stuff. And it was funny because every time I had to go testify, the first question they wanted me to answer was, what's your professional background? Says, I'm a movie theater operator. And they say, and what's your, you know, your, your educational background? I have an economics degree. And I was just waiting for them to say, because they wanted me to compromise myself as a witness and say, well, the only reason why he's a good witness is because he's got legal background, right? And then eventually I'd say, well, I'm a lawyer, but I never did my Canadian bar, right? I had my my New York bar, but I didn't have my Canadian bar. So I said, but I don't have, I never did my bar. So that it be. And so that's why we ended up litigating. And, you know, I then I did all the leases for the company and, and, and all contracts were reviewed by me. And... You know, one of the funniest things is I'm dyslexic. So the fact that I even got through law school and that I got I get through an 80-page lease is still beyond me. That definitely, I'm sure, caused its own challenges. Having all this responsibility on you as far as what your father started, wanting to not only take it over, but grow it to and make it an empire. And then having a family, um, you know, you have five kids and that's not easy. I have two and I don't know how some days that um, I do that even. So do you look back and say, maybe I shouldn't have been so bold or open with my opinions? You are definitely very open with what you think. Do you ever look back and say, hmm, maybe I should have bit my tongue a bit more? Uh, no, I try not to have any regrets. You know, I learned from my mistakes. So if I, you know, did speak 
out of line or out of, you know, out of out of turn or out of play. I mean, look, you, you know, you see the, I guess the people see the final cut of Dragons Den. You know the, you know the everyday stuff. And every once in a while, I get, you know, I, I get yelled at from Marlene because I offended her in some form or another. You know, you can't be everything to everybody. So I, I can't be an amazing entrepreneur, an amazing father. Uh, uh, I could be an amazing brother because I don't have a brother. Uh, and in fact, my kids say that to me all the time, you know, that, that when I criticize them for not being nice enough to each other, they look at me and they say, you know that you have this ideal of what it is to have a brother, but you don't really have a brother, right? You don't know how annoying it is to have brothers and siblings and whatever. So you dream of the relationship you would have had with a brother. But, but that's not reality. That's what they tell me, right? Very true. I can. I agree with them. Brothers can be annoying. You know my brother, and yeah. <laughs> that's what I, I love your brother. He's actually my brother from another mother and another father. I mean, that's what I call him. You know. So, uh, but so so every once in a while, you know, I will say something that comes from my personal vision. I may think about it a few days later and say, you know what? I guess I was looking at a six on the floor, and you were standing across from me, and you saw a nine. I should have realized you were sitting across from me and you would see a nine. So I got to go back because I realize I have offended somebody. Uh, but I only usually do that if it's somebody that I actually care about. Many times what I like to do is just create the debate. And a lot of people think I create the debate because I want to win the argument. No, it's because I actually want to get other people's opinions. And you'd be surprised that sometimes in an argument you and I may have had, you know, over dinner, or a discussion we've had over dinner, I'll actually absorb things, say, okay, whatever. See, I didn't see that that way. And then I'll modify my stance. Do you have um, business advisors or mentors or, or multiple people around you, family members maybe even, that you bounce thoughts, ideas, kind of criticisms that you take? You know, kind of going back to that old saying my dad used to say to me when I was growing up, that you're the average of the five closest people around you. And I never really understood that until I got into business and I was an entrepreneur myself and I started creating a family and get, becoming an adult, essentially. That yes, you know, positive and negative, both your surroundings and the people that you choose because you do choose them, do have a lot of an effect on not only your outlook on life, but, you know, a lot of what you, how you think and why you think. Do you have an inner circle that you kind of rely on? So uh, what I did is I did what I would call um, a Steve Jobs approach. Uh, I surrounded myself with people that are like-minded as me, not necessarily as extrovert as me, but like-minded, that we have the same vision so that I can inspire them. My, uh, my extrovert side pushes them to excel in the vision we want. Then the other thing that happens is you know, when you're an only child, you realize some, some realities that are not obvious to everybody. You realize that when my parents will have passed, our past together is gone. There's nobody for me to talk to about it because nobody was there with us, right? So if I remember when I was seven years old and it was Christmas, it was my mom, my dad, and I. So I don't have a brother or a sister to say, remember what we used to do with mom and dad. So all of a sudden, those people are the only people you grow up trusting. And it's very hard for, for a spouse. 
in that kind of a relationship because as much as you're supposed to be, you know, inseparable with your spouse, the truth of the matter is I've known my parents for 51 years. I've only known my wife for 17, right? So th there's a certain, you know, and because I know I'm the only thing they have, I know that they won't do anything. Even when sometimes I tell myself, why would you do that? You know, it would hurt me. Why would you do that, right? For me, they're the inner circle. The, the, the second round is then my wife, the kids, right? But what I've realized is that when you go up and when you make your circle so small and when you climb up this, this what I call, you know, this, this pyramid, what you're going to realize is that at every level of the pyramid, there's less and less people. And as you get to the top, you realize that you're more and more alone, right? So when COVID hit, I had the time to sit down and look around and see a lot of panic. And I said, geez, you know, I got to be careful here. These guys are panicking. These guys are going to need somebody to calm them down. These guys are going to need somebody to keep them like sane, right? So there's that pressure that keeps me check and balance. My own reality keeps me a check and balance, right? So... One day, my father, when we decided to change the name of the companies, which were individual, you know, so it used to be called Cinema Terban and Cinema Lacordaire, let's say. And then when we regrouped it under one banner, my father had two worries. The first worry was by putting a common name, you're now announcing your colors. and You're going to war against Cineplex and Famous Players because mm -hmm. you're no longer five small theaters. You're now becoming a, a conglomerate of theaters. Uh, and then the second thing he was worried about is that I wanted to put the Guzzo name. So as much as we all know Donald Trump for putting his name all over the place and we think it's just an ego thing, in my case, it, it wasn't an ego thing. And I'll tell you, I'll give you another example of why it wasn't that'll prove it to you. But I put my name there because it was my way being called out every time something went wrong. Because I wanted to be able to go to an airport, check in, and somebody would say, hey, you're the guy from the movie theaters. I said, yeah. And I wanted them to tell me, oh, by the way, you know, I went to your theater and I, this happened to me wrong. Interesting that you say that because we did the exact opposite when we started. We did not want to name our products, Minhas, or even our company. Our first year was Mountain Crest and then Boxer, and like everything other than Minhas. Only recently are we, are we taking on that opinion, actually. And that took us two decades to come to, that accountability, that wanting people you know, customers are on the street to give their, their feedback. So it's interesting that you saw that early on rather than the other way around instead of making it generic. But I truly agree with you that it does all of a sudden create this check and balance within you as the leader of the company because, well, all of a sudden it has a face. So talking about movies, do you worry that streaming companies are growing not only during the pandemic, but just growing exponentially? in the world of entertainment? No, because if you look at streaming, movie theaters have existed for about 110 years now, 120 years almost. All of our competitors have lasted for 15 to 25 years and then they disappear or they're no longer seen as a competitor of ours, right? So if I was in the TV business, I'd be a lot more worried about, you know, Netflix and, you know, the streaming platforms than I would about, movie theaters. Uh, and the reason for that is simple, right? And, and I think we've, we've seen the results. But the truth of the matter is what Netflix is, is you're at home 
watching TV. That's what it is. You're just watching TV. You think that it's it's CTV and Global and CBC's competitors, not yours, because when people are coming to the theater, they are still going for an experience. They're going for a two, three hour, you know, That's day. Right. They're going, they're going to actually pay attention. And that I agree with. I, I I do agree that when you go, you know you're you know, you're going to spend your time and money without distractions. But it's also like a restaurant. It's also like a restaurant, right? I mean, I said this on a on a on a talk show on CBC French. Where they asked me, they said, they said to me, but Mr. Guzzo, the truth of the matter is movie attendance is down because more and more people have home theater, right? And I started laughing and I said, yeah, sure they do, right? Some of them don't even have air conditioning, but they got themselves a 70-foot screen in their basement. Sure, I'm positive. I go, I said, no, the truth of the matter, I said, look at it this way. And I looked at the guy and I said to him, I says, you got a kitchen at home? He says, yeah. Did that stop you from going to the restaurant? Uh, uh, no. Okay. There you go. Very true. So I'm going to ask you, um, what do you think that entrepreneurs should focus on when they're early on in their business? I think the biggest problem with entrepreneurs who fail is their discipline in actually doing what they know they got to do, but scares the hell out of them to do it because they're actually more concerned I know I, so, so let me go through the process. So it's, it's almost like, I know this is what I've got to do to be successful and to get this project going. But man, if I'm wrong, I, I, I don't know what the plan B is because I don't have a plan B, right? And I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't realize that the plan B usually comes by being caught up in the wrong place, right? So you start off and then all of a sudden, whoops, we made a mistake. If you waste time on plan A, B, C, and D, Somebody else has done A, and he's also modified it. It's now, so, so, so it's just get it done. But it's also not lying to yourself. You know, I, I think sometimes we see it on the den. Sometimes there's guys or people who come to see us, and they, they, they do their pitch. And one of the questions I ask myself, all, and I'm sure you ask yourself the same question, is I look at myself and I go, geez, is this guy, like, is he just trying to, con me into this deal or does he really believe the piece about being self-aware is less and less i think not only with entrepreneurs but when you have so many people around you saying yes you're great you're awesome keep going naturally as, as humans don't want to have people around us that are criticizing us right and i definitely see that as my role sitting in that seat the last six years on the den is that brutal honesty sometimes to be that third person that kind of, you know, and I know you see yourself as the same because often we can see through what other people are telling them or what they don't see um, that is blaringly obvious to somebody who is, you know, considering giving them some hard-earned money. And so you think that the, the, one of the biggest things that entrepreneurs should focus on when they're starting out is understanding the risk, but also just taking the risk. That's right. Yeah. I mean, look, one of the things I did is, you know, as an entrepreneur, you know it, we do it all the time. You got to be an amazing salesman. You're selling yourself, you're selling the product, right? So one day, so from 1997 till about 2010, we had not failed at anything we did. Anything we had touched turned to gold, okay? But I knew it was a matter of time. We were going to hit something. We were going to hit a brick wall. Something was, you know, it, it's just, it's just a question of odds, right? I, I'm, I, I have a degree in economics with a specialty in statistics. The odds are every time, every 
big deal you do, there's a bad deal wait lurking in the background. One day I walked into my uh, boardroom and I had all my office there and I took a bottle of cologne and I put it on the table and I said, Guzzo perfume, guys, what do you think? And they all, amazing, it's gonna be a great, wow, oh, boop, boop. <laughs> and I heard for about an hour, these guys telling me, guys and girls telling me how amazing an idea was. This was gonna be incredible. This was gonna be bigger than Chanel, right? An hour later, I looked at them and I said, okay, guys, the first thing to do is not believe in your own pitch lines here, okay, guys? It's like, you're crazy. We're not going in the cologne business. We are popcorn experts. That's what we do. We sell movies. We sell popcorn. We sell an experience. We went into the construction business because we wanted to build that experience at a cheaper cost, right? We became our own supplier of a product, right? So instead of hiring a co-packer, I became the co-packer, right? So for my own products, say, right? And so that's important. It's important to actually do a cleanse after every pitch and leave and say, okay, 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 okay. Whatever I said to sell this deal, I got to reground myself and remember that part of that's got a lot of whipped cream on it. But you know, under the whipped cream, there's a cake, but there's still whipped cream, right? So, and it's very important that we don't make that mistake. We, we don't have to truly believe that we are invincible. And, that, and, and, and you also have to remember that the fact that we, are in, in, that we are not invincible doesn't mean that we shouldn't take the risk though, right? But just a calculated risk. Anything um, in closing that we didn't touch on that you want to talk about? No, I mean, look, I think we've covered it. And, you know, I, I think we can always have another, you know, an episode four, five, six to be followed. You know, I miss you. That's for sure. Right. After we spent 16 days together, you know, I, I as I was telling everybody on Dragons, then, you know, on the back, the ones that we did, all of the people that the public doesn't see. Right. But that we see is that this year was probably the most enjoyable because we weren't distracted by by our families, by our friends or whatever. And, and, I completely and, agree. You know, I, I think we bonded a lot better. Thanks once again, Vince. I really appreciate your time and your insight and your candor. That is how we all learn from each other is that when we're all really honest, not only about our journey, but our opinions, but also are honest about the good, the bad, and the ugly. So thank you once again. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you follow and subscribe to the podcast. Each week, I'll be talking with some of the best leaders in the business. So together, we can share their journey and stories and gain more insight on how we can do better in our own experiences. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on the Manjeet Manhas podcast.